Father, we, even as we are here in your presence, O oh Lord, just come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, yes, Lord, even as we sung the last song, we are still an unfinished product. And Lord, you are chiseling away all the things which are not of you. And you are transforming us into the likeness of your Son. Thank you, Father, for this time that you blessed us with. And even as now we meditate upon your words, speak to our hearts. Grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we will know you. That we will see you. That our focus will be upon you. That we will not be distracted from all the clamor um, outside and even in our own minds. Father, that we will be focused. Thank you, Father. Anoint us. Sanctify us. Set us apart for a holy use. To that end, I pray that you would bless the speaking and the hearing of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I wish every day was a birthday. Every Wednesday was a birthday and so that we could see more of you at church. No, that's exciting to see someone of you and it's good. All right, so um, see the last song that we sang um, uh, it's interesting uh, I don't know some of you non-Telugu speaking people may not have understood the meaning of the song so let me explain that to you um, song says let me be a hand let me be a, a piece in the, on the, in the sculptor's hand let him chisel me into the likeness of his son by his spirit that's the gist of the song in a sense um, I was reading this, um, reading this book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves. Um, he's, he talks about, uh, the ultimate aim in, in your Christian life is to become like Christ. Okay. To the whole purpose of Christian walk for God saving us and justifying us, calling us, justifying us and sanctifying us. is sanctifying us for a, with an end purpose in, our, in his mind. There is a goal for our sanctification that we will become like him, like his son. We all are made in the image of God. That's what uh, the Bible says. Man is made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And after the fall, we know that the that likeness was marred and the whole redemption process is to bring us back to to the image of Christ. And C.S. Lewis makes a very interesting statement. There are two kinds of nearness. There is nearness of likeness and there's a nearness of approach. Okay, so C.S. Lewis says there are two kinds of likeness. There's a nearness of likeness and there's a nearness of approach. Nearness of likeness is like moving towards a village. Let's say that is where you want to approach uh, a particular village and you want to see that village. So uh, you climb a particular hill and you are from that hill, from the top of the hill, that is the nearest point to the hill. Meaning you're on the top of the hill, the village is down and that is the nearest point. But it doesn't matter how near you are to the village in terms of distance. The only way to approach it is to jump and enter into the village. And what will happen if you jump? Crack. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
There's another, he says there's another process called the nearness of approach. That is nearness of likeness. We are, we are made in the likeness of God, but then because of sin we are marred. So it doesn't matter how much we try to transform ourselves, we are still not there. It's like we are at the top of a cliff and the village is down and all we can do is, there's a kind of a chasm between us and God. It doesn't matter how much we try. All we can do is hope to be like Christ. But if you try to take the plunge, you will die. But then he says there's another process. He talks to the, he, talk, he calls it the nearness of approach. You know what is the nearness of approach? He says the nearness of approach is God taking you through different, different processes through the moor, through the, through the kichard and through the valley and through the wilderness, but all the while you're getting closer and closer and closer to the village. And eventually you will, leave, you will reach the village. That's exactly what God is doing with each one of us. He's taking us through processes and making us and cleansing us so that we'll become more and more like Christ. It's a beautiful analogy. So to this evening, uh, even as we look at the word, I want to look at something very, very important, very close to my heart. Even as I uh, read the scriptures, uh, you know, God was speaking to my heart. And uh, uh, I want to look at a particular passage from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 onwards. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We know this called, the, called as the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what? To observe all things. Meaning observe means don't observe. It's uh, to obey. Okay. It's not teaching them the commands. It's teaching them to observe the commands. You can teach a parrot a lot of commands. Okay. The parrot can recite the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. But the parrot cannot obey the Sermon on the Mount. The parrot cannot love its enemies. Parrot, parrot cannot hunger and thirst after righteousness, etc. So what he's trying to say is this. The whole process of discipleship is to observe all things, not a few things that God has commanded. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So that's the whole purpose of the, of the, of the, of the new covenant is to make us into disciples and to transform us into the likeness of his son. That's what he says. You know, no disciple is above his master. The disciple will be exactly like the master. And therefore, choose your teachers well. Don't be followers of the blind because they will, blind will lead the blind and will all fall in a ditch. So be very careful whom you are following. Let them be those who will have the audacity to say, follow me even as I follow Christ, like Paul. Alright, so that is the whole aim of the gospel, is to make us like Christ. And if you look at the entire Bible, there's one particular passage where there's a commissioning of the discipleship and there is 
so many things that Jesus talks about, you know, where the essence of the cost of discipleship, and that is found in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 10, where I'm not going to go there, but just before that, to put the whole message into perspective. Matthew chapter 9, this is what he says. And Jesus went throughout all the cities. This is the end of Matthew chapter 9, and we are entering into Matthew chapter 10, and this is how it Matthew chapter 9 ends. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every affliction. And when he saw, you know, Jesus sees, it doesn't mean that Jesus sees, no, Jesus sees here, even the crowd over here, the word saw there, Jesus knows, that's what it means, Jesus knows every problem, that's what he says, okay, Jesus saw the crowds, he knew the crowds, he had compassion upon them, for they were harassed, and they were helpless, okay, it's one of the Hallmarks of these last days is that people are harassed by demonic influences, even in the church, and absolutely helpless to change. See, they would love to change, some of them. Some of them just love their sin, of course, but they love their sin because they have given up on changing, because they knew that they know that it doesn't matter how much they try, they'll always fail. There's so many people like that. So he saw. People, crowds, harassed and helpless. Helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's, again, the common... I'll tell you honestly these days, it is not like sheep without a shepherd. There are sheep who don't want a shepherd actually. That is how it is in the last days. Okay. Please, we want to be sheep but we don't want to have a shepherd over us. Okay. So what, what does he say? Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the who is less? The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay? So, that is what he wants to do. He wants us to make us laborers in the vineyard, no? Um, John's Gospel chapter 4. Do not say there are yet four months, verse 35 and 36, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the ones who reap is receiving wages. How many of you like salary slips? Hare, every only one person likes the salary. How many of you like <laughs> salary slips before the end of the month? No, uh-huh, very important. Even if it goes one day beyond the last day, you'll say, "What is going on?" Okay. So already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Let me tell you honestly, one of the ways that you can gauge in your heart if you are being a disciple is to check whether you have a burden for people who are lost. Okay? Either you are sending or you are sent or you are compromised. Only three options. You are sending people into the harvest or you are being sent into the harvest, or you are compromised. Okay. So labor, laborers are few. Look at what Paul tells Timothy. How do you labor? Look at what it says. What he tells Timothy. It's Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. And Timothy is that young man who was slackening off in his zeal. So he writes not one letter but two letters. Okay. All men need two letters. Yeah. It is always Moses, Moses, Simon, Simon. He doesn't read it three times. Simon, 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 Simon. Okay. 
So Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, this is what he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman, the same word, laborer, that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need a set of people who are laborers, who will work hard. Oh, it's very difficult to find. I, I, one fascinating character in the New Testament is this guy called Apollos. Look at what it says about Apollos, Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Let me tell you something, if you are not mighty in the scriptures, God will never be able to use you. It doesn't matter what your ministry is. Okay? Mighty in the scriptures. I'll come to that came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Other translations will say, he taught the word accurately because he was mighty in the scriptures. He was competent in the scriptures. Very, very rarely you find people, one here, one there, who are competent in the scriptures, who know the scriptures, who know the God of the scriptures. And then it goes on to say, and this is of course our pastor's ministry, okay? This is his calling. And it's therefore our calling too. And he began boldly in this, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, it's a very interesting uh, order, Aquila and Priscilla, they took him unto, uh, they took him uh, unto them and expounded unto them, unto him the way of God more Perfectly. This man was not only mighty in scriptures, he also knew that, you know, he's not completely true. I mean, he's, he's not, com- he doesn't know the complete truth. You know, I, one of the things that I've realized over a period of time, even as I'm walking with the Lord, that God doesn't give the truth to one person completely. No. He scatters the truth among many, 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 many men of God and servants of God. So, he wanted to know the word of God more perfectly. So what does he do? He does it, and he, he, and when, and when he was disposed to pass to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciple to, disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, held them much which had believed through grace. Meaning, he was a particular minister who was sent only to the believers. And he expounded the scriptures to them and strengthened the believers. And there is a need in this generation for a set of people who will strengthen believers in the faith. Teaching them the word of God. Teaching them the scriptures. Okay. So that is a labor. God is looking for laborers. But how does God find the laborers? First he does is he prays earnestly. (laughs) Pray earnestly that God will send laborers into his vineyard. By the way, before Jesus commissioned the 12 disciples, what did he do? He went into the mountain and full night he was in prayer. All night prayer. For the first time you'll read the word all night prayer is before the commissioning and the ordaining, ordination of the disciples. So he prayed earnestly before he commissioned the 12 disciples. And then we enter into the gospel according to Matthew chapter 10. And look at these, this verse, the first introduction verse. And from here we will launch into our message. Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 onwards. Few verses and we will try to uh, understand what the Lord has to say. And he called to him his 12 disciples. I love that, no? He called to him his 12. See the order? 
It starts with a call unto himself and they become his. Okay. Every one of us is called. Few will be chosen. Few will be his. Remaining faithful until the end. It's beautiful. Called unto himself his twelve disciples. His twelve. They are his. Do you know that? Everyone over here, I am his. Say that. I am his. Not my own. Bought with a price. He called to him. Meaning, he called them and he separated them unto himself. Yesterday I was teaching the Bible study. I was telling, there's no way a man can be used unless he's separated unto God. Doesn't matter what you're doing. If you want to become crack the medical entrance exam, you should be separated unto medicine, medical entrance. Because that is the toughest. Am I right, doctor? Yes. It's not like engineering. Engineering has so many seats, Baba. Okay. Some, even if you get 50,000 rank, you will get some seat somewhere. Okay. Medical entrance, not so easy. Yeah. So, if you want to crack the medical entrance exam, you have to be sanctified and set apart for medical exam. Okay. And if you want to crack the discipleship program, answer, sanctified and set apart for the discipleship program. We are all sanctified and set apart for the earthly programs. But what about the heavenly programs? Very few. That is the reason why plenty of harvest, very few laborers, because we are all looking for our best life. Now, to them, what does God give? He gives them what? Authority. See, authority is not given for people who are not set apart. Even if they have the authority, they will use it, misuse it, and ultimately they will be damned. See, authority is used or rather given and entrusted into the hands who are the stewards of the mysteries of God. To them, God gives authority. And so what does God do? He called them. Whom does he call? Interesting, right? You want to know whom he calls? Let's see. Now these are the names of the twelve. Twelve is the Number of, anybody knows? Government. Okay? Twelve is the number of government and the government is upon whose shoulders? His shoulders. Think about it. God's government is on the shoulders of Jesus. Now he's going to transmute that government onto the twelve so that they can go about and establish the government of God. Okay? So, this is no ordinary calling. So now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. I like that. How does it start? Everybody read this. First, Simon. I love that. Beautiful. (laughs) We are going to look at Mr. Simon today. What? God wants us to make laborers in his vineyard. But what is the raw material that God is looking at so that he can make us into an effective laborer? People who are set apart, those are the people who are called saints. John MacArthur says, either you are a saint or you ain't. Okay. They're only saints. 
Saints mean not holy. It's not, it's not people who are holy. No, 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 no. Saint means set apart for God. Okay. So the, who's this first guy? By the way, Simon is not the first who's called. Andrew was called first. And then he goes and says, you know what? We found the Messiah. But how does scripture record? First, Simon. That's interesting. He's going to be the leader. First, Simon. Who's called Peter. Simon, ultimately he's going to become what? Petros. Simon, impetuous, emotional. He thought he was very intelligent, but he was actually not. Okay. <laughs> See, many of us can't relate with Apostle Paul. No, we can definitely relate with Peter. <laughs> Peter is my kind of a guy. Okay. <laughs> we thought he was very, very intelligent, but he was not. But one thing, Peter, whatever he did, even if it was wrong, he did wrong correctly. <laughs> you see, that is Peter. And you need to understand, that is the raw material God is looking at. First, Simon. See, now you need to understand something. God has 12 disciples, but God is not intimate with everybody. You see. Intimacy with God even though he is disposed to everyone, in that he loves everyone, only few get intimate, meaning they want to have a closer walk with him. And one thing about Simon Peter, you can never get his, get him off Jesus' back. Okay? That guy is going to do crazy things for Jesus. Even if it has to chop off somebody's head and that fellow ducks and that ear gets off. He's, he's like that. Okay, first Simon. So you have a close circle of Jesus among Jesus' disciples and you will have four layers of people. And who is mentioned last? Judas. That's a fantastic order. He is the outlier. Right there. At the, that is how the spirit of, the God, spirit of God is describing this entire narrative and the list there. The outlier. The one guy who is there close to the fence and now, pe- now Satan is going to come and grab him and going to take him off. Lying there at the fence. There are so many fence sitters in the kingdom of God, like Judas Iscariot, who follow God for money and for gain. Not so Peter. First Simon. Who's called Peter. I just want to look at Peter. We can look at all the other disciples. Just look at Peter because he's a representation of all the, I mean, he's like the sample of all the twelve. Of all the 11 at least. Of course we have this order over here. We have Simon, Peter, Andrew, his brother James and John. They are the first circle. And then you have Philip and Bartholomew. Also called as Nathaniel. The second circle. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Libius. Whose surname was Thaddeus. The fourth circle. And finally you have Simon the Canaanite. (laughs) Very, very close to... Judas Iscariot, but thank God he was saved. Finally, the outlier called Judas. Look at Simon. I want to look at Simon, okay? Look at the raw material that God is looking. All the children here, listen to me carefully. Want to see one of the ways that Jesus calls him and recorded in several gospels, but this is very, uh, the detail is given in Luke's gospel chapter 5. When he stopped speaking, that is the huge crowd over there and Jesus wants to speak to them and then you know what? 
he hires Simon's boat and he says, Simon, can I use your boat to preach? Peter says, Thank. okay, go ahead, God. So he uses the boat and now Jesus wants to pay him back rent. No? So many people who don't pay rent. And so many landlords who take advance and don't give back. Yeah, we have all kinds of people. All Judases, I say. Okay. I, I remember one milkman, no? This milkman, we were shifting the home and we, I had to pay him. That day I was shifting and that day I didn't, I didn't have the money. And uh, I said, you know what? I'll, I didn't have the money, meaning I could withdraw and give. I said, can you come later? He said, sir, don't worry, sir. Wherever you go, I will come. I know you will always give me the money. I said, thank you. That is a testimony that I want. See? Okay. Launch out into the deep. Jesus will always pay back. Pay back. He's no man's debtor. Okay. Launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. What is God looking for? He's looking for people who will toil all night. Even if they don't catch anything. Who will never give up. That is the reason why Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, endure hardship as discipline as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Because there will be time that you will work and work and work and work and you will see no fruit in your vineyard. Do you see like that? You know, sometimes I speak to pastor and he tells me, which is sometimes I want to get into the minds of people and change their minds. Work and work and work and work. 11 years, 12 years, you hardly find fruit. Hmm? Lord God is looking for somebody, you know. He's looking for hard-working people who will toil. Toil, toil. You know, toiling? It's toil, matlab, burning the midnight oil. Let me tell you something. If you are very intelligent, whoever that person is here, very intelligent. This is to the very intelligent among this crowd. Okay, whoever has the audacity to say, I'm very intelligent, Okay. For the very intelligent, the most intelligent man who ever lived on planet in the secular history is a great scientist called Albert Einstein. So we, we, whenever people come into my college, they think they're very intelligent. First year, first semester, they think very, very sharp. So I call them Albert because they're not at Einstein, okay? Hoping they will become one day Einstein. Say, I call them uh, Albert. I'm sorry, Albert, not here, not this Albert. So... So the very intelligent, if Albert Einstein is your role model, you know what he said? Genius is 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. Okay. You want to work in a lab? If you are a researcher, you got to toil. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Toil. Work hard. Madams are here who are writing their PhD thesis. They've been toiling. They say, along the pieces, Rastun. Toil. Toil. Caught nothing. What will happen to you? One day you wrote your exam and you got zero marks. What will happen to you? Will you quit? The kingdom of God is not for quitters and God will never choose those people. Never choose. I send this quotation by Matthew Henry to the GDC men group. Look at what it says. As Satan chooses to come with his temptations to those that are idle, so Christ chooses to come with his calls to those that are employed. 
How many of you berosgar over here? In the house of God. Be careful, berosgar. Don't be. Ah, ah, ah. Idle. Why? Idle man's mind is? Workshop Baba. He is busy. This is my raw material. My kind of a guy. That is the reason why you know what it says in Ecclesiastes. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with what? All your might. Okay. I like, I want to be around those kinds of people, no? Whenever you, you, you know, just, those are, those are the kinds of people that Jesus likes to be around with hard-working toilers because he says, you know what, my father and I have been working ever since creation, continue to work even now. And they will continue to work all eternity. Eternity is for those people who love work, not workaholics, but who love work. Do you love your work? First Timothy chapter 5 verse 15. Besides that they learn to be idlers going about from house to house. Not only idlers but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. And I'll tell you something. If you are idle, you are the prime target of Satan. You are already an instrument of Satan. And what will happen to you? You will go from house to house. And you will justify your sin. If you are too nosy, you know what you will say? I am only concerned. Oh. No see into other people's affairs. What is happening? Okay. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So what are those, what is the opposite of an idle person? I mean, sorry, what is the, what is the opposite of a guy who's a hardworking laborer or a toiler? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him toil. So what is the opposite of toiler? Thief. Thank you. But these days thief also toil. You know that? I I saw a movie recently. This this guy who is a thief who suddenly gets into somebody's home. And he's caught. And this guy is very well built and he's got a lot of, you know, Muscles and all and the owner of the house says, what do you do in your idle time? He says, yoga, physical fitness. <laughs> and he says, why yoga, physical fitness? Are, I am a thief. If somebody tries to catch me, I have to run. So physically he has to be fit. Okay. But think about it. You are not even a good thief in other words. If you are an idle person. Hmm. So Toil. God is looking for toilers in God's kingdom who will never give up. For all those people in medicine who are looking for PG but I'm not cracked it, don't give up. <laughs> I can say that because I'm an engineer now, so no problem. <laughs> you chose it. You made your bed, lie in it now, okay? Okay, then look at another guy. Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 to 29. Him we preach, this is Apostle Paul. Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom. This is the way a person has to preach. When I looked at this verse, I started trembling. I, what should I have? I should have have what kind of wisdom? All wisdom. I mean, obviously, not all wisdom, Baba. That is the reason why I dye my hair. So what do I do? 
that we may present every man perfect in Christ. So what do I do? To this end I also toil. Toil. Work hard. If you are a person with gifted brains, work hard. Sharpen your brains. Just go to your potential, true potential. I don't know what your potential is. Ultimately, you will become like Apostle Paul, the genius. I'm sure if he was a computer scientist, he would give the best computer scientist a run for his money. For sure. Brilliant guy. I'll tell you honestly, no, that is how the Jewish people taught their children. You know the, what they did? They taught their children the scriptures. They taught their children a trade. Scriptures, trade. Scriptures, trade. This fellow Paul will go to the best universities in Alexandria. And in Tarsus, he went to the University of Tarsus, by the way, which is the IIT Kanpur, sorry, oh, yeah, uh, IIC of, the, of those days. Huh? And he was a tent maker. A trade. Tent making, university going. Tent making, university going. That means he knows one trade. Do you know a trade? Are you mighty in scriptures? Is a question. Okay, that is introduction only. Okay, let's move on. Luke's Gospel chapter 5, let us look at Peter. When Simon Peter saw it, look, at there's a huge catch now. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a what? And a man who is aware of his sin. Yes, he worked very hard and he knew that all his hard work cannot take him to heaven. He always fell short. And then when he looked at the incredible catch, he was astonished, it says, for he had, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with him. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Thank you, Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, what will happen? You will catch men. If you were not a good fish catcher, you will not catch men. Did you get that? If you are not, forgive me, if I was not a good roboticist, I will be pathetic at catching men. Okay. If you are not good at your trade, forget about it. Hmm? Okay. I am a sinful man. But thank God, God accepts him just as he is. Let's move on. Next thing I learn about Peter. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they did not start off Simon Peter Incorporated and put a public enterprise. No. They force a call. You see, ultimately, you know what? God has given you the giftings and your talents for what? To glorify his name. That is the reason why he has given you all the giftings and talents. Your brains are not your own. Your energy is not your own. Your talent is not your own. If you are an athlete, you are not running your race. That's exactly what happened to that man. No, What's his name? Uh, Eric, Little, Eric Little. Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, the movie. He says, I have 100, sorry, 10 seconds to justify my life and to glorify my maker. When he was running, he was running for the glory of God. And when he ran, you know what happened? He got the gold medal in this 400 meters race. 
And ultimately he forsook all, went to China as a missionary and was martyred. Mm-hmm. Forsook all. Peter forsook all. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, he, what? Cannot be my disciple. Let's go to the next one. Next thing about Peter. Matthew chapter 14. Let's see. This was verse 25 onwards. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to him walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, thank God Peter opened his mouth. Can you imagine how much of scripture would not have been there if Peter did not open his mouth? Okay. Peter opened his mouth. Matthew wrote. Luke wrote. Mark wrote. Thank God he opened his mouth. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if you command me to come to you on water, if it is you, command me to come to you on, come to you on the water. So he said, come. You know what this man is? A man who is willing to take risks for God and is not afraid of failing. Hmm? Okay? Take risks for God and is not afraid of failing. Take risks. Everybody will say risks in investment. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Risks in relationships. Can you take Can you accept people the way they are? Oh, if I open my mouth and my heart, if I just give him one inch, he will take a square mile and he will come into my home. No, 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 no. If I tell them that I have little money, next time they will call me. If there is a need. Hmm? Look at C.S. Lewis, he writes in his book, The Four Loves. (laughs) Read it, okay. Read C.S. Lewis and just fall flat on your face before God and glorify him for his life. And for for Pastor James because he introduced him to us. (laughs) Okay, look at what he says. What he says, C.S. Lewis, look at what he says in Four Loves. Look at what he says about taking risks in relationships. Look at what he says. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, that means not to be broken, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with your hobbies hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Okay? But in that casket, safe, dark, Motionless, airless, it will, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, uh, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. End quote. You want to walk this Christian walk? Welcome to heartbreak land. Okay, this is going to be a place where people are going to break your heart. The people who are closest to you. And if you don't want to break your heart, 
put it in the coffin of your selfishness and have all your hobbies and your luxuries and there it will be what? Impenetrable, unbreakable, unbreakable, irredeemable. Out. And you're gone. That is Peter. A man who took risks for God and failed. Only those people who take risks fail. If you don't want to fail, don't try. Take a risk for God and fail. At least you know how not to fail and you can start off a coaching center. You know what? The best teachers are people who fail. Take risks and fail. That is Peter. How many of you have taken risks? And failed? And failed? And failed? No, 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 no. Closed. I know I hear, no, if I just give one inch, finish, they will eat my head. Okay, welcome to Christianity. You know what, Jesus, that is what, what an incredible risk that God took. Can you imagine the risk? Risk! Sending his son, he came, he made the world and the world did not know him. He came to his own, the own did not receive him. He chose a few disciples, the disciples forsook him. His own parents said, this fellow is a mad fellow. His brother said, gone case. Twelve disciples, one fellow betrayed and everybody left. And when he was hanging on the cross, how many people were there on his side? Zero. What a risk. Hmm? Heartbroken. That's what it says, right? Pierced in his side and out came water and blood. Oh, people who don't want to take risks, who don't want to give it, give anything to God. Take a risk for God, my dear brothers and sisters. There was one man, you know, uh, I, I remember this, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, when he was in the, when he was called to start off the Reformation, of course, this is seven days after Reformation Day, of course, we are celebrating the seventh day of Reformation. Just kidding. So we have Martin Luther. And he had a friend in his, in his, uh, in, a, in a monastery, right? In his, uh, in his place where he was studying. Both of them became aware of justification by faith. And one guy said, Martin Luther said, you know what? I'm going to go and labor. Okay. I'll go preach the gospel. You do one thing. Stay in the monastery and pray for me. Pray for me. Okay. Cover me in your prayer. Guy said, okay, okay. You go labor and labor. Go to the dust and labor. I will be there for you, praying for you in the monastery. And one day he was praying, this friend was praying and praying and praying and one day he was sleeping and God gave him a dream. In that dream he saw huge field ripe with harvest. And in that huge field there was one tiny man in that field. You know, from the bird's eye view you saw this field. One tiny man laboring and laboring and laboring and laboring and laboring. And God showed him slowly, he zoomed in the camera. Okay. And showed him his face, it was a friend of his, it was his friend Martin Luther. And immediately got up. Next day he rushed to his home and he said, you know what? I just don't want to pray. I want to be a co-laborer with you in his vineyard. I want to take a risk for God. Okay. Then, let's move on. 
Very interesting. Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 onwards. This is again about Peter. Now when Peter, when Jesus had come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them. I like this. Peter was very kind to his mother-in-law. You know, I was reading Zach Poonen's, <laughs> everybody's laughing. Zach Poonen's wife's testimony, Annie Poonen, she has four mother-in-laws. One of the mother-in-law, the daughters-in-law, I mean, sorry, four daughters-in-law, right? He has, she has four daughters-in-law and one of the daughters-in-law, when she was writing her testimony, she said, I am your daughter-in-love, not a daughter-in-law. I like that. You know, it, it shows how he treated his wife. That is Peter. He saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served him. That was Peter's mother-in-law. If she is so hardworking, just imagine how hardworking she would have been. That's his wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 5. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? The word in Greek is a sister as a wife. Just like Peter. Peter had a sister in the Lord to be his wife. Sister in the Lord to be his wife. He did not choose any random girl to be his wife. And he loved her. How do I know that he loved her? And they were one. They were, it, was a, it was a great marriage. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your... Why not husbands? Why own husbands? In other words, God is saying, as a wife, you have a particular honor that you have to give for your husband. Particular honor. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I believe this was a testimony of his wife. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and putting on of golden jewelry and clothing you wear. I was t- teaching this in the morning. I was saying you should have grace as an ornament around your neck. I was teaching the children. Not gold and jewelry and all those things. You should not have them. And one girl who comes from the Pentecostal background. Yes, yes, no jewelry, she said. He is four years or five years old. I said, Baba, you are the true Pentecostal. Yes, yes, no <laughs> No jewelry. She hardly can speak English. I love that. Out of the mouth of babes. Okay. And then it goes on to say, but let your adorning be hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves submitting to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything which is frightening. This is Peter's wife's testimony. There's a a church historian, his name is Eusebius. Very respected historian. This is what he records about Peter's wife. He was the one who was in charge of closing the canon of scripture. Eusebius. Eusebius, he was one of the church fathers in the 
in 380 around that time he lived this man records it says church history says that peter's wife was crucified before him right before his eyes she was being crucified and this is what he tells his wife as she's getting crucified you know what he says they say accordingly that when the blessed peter saw his own wife led out to die he rejoiced because of her summons and her return home and called to her very encouragingly and comfortingly addressing her by name and saying oh thou remember the lord remember the lord remember the lord this is how jesus died for you such was the marriage of the blessed and their perfect disposition towards the dearest to them oh. how many of us can go to our death like that husband and wife hand in hand dying for the lord can you imagine what kind of a marriage they had peter therefore you know what apostle paul will say love your wives just like christ jesus loved the church because he is unmarried baba what do you know it is easy for an unmarried man to say that is the reason why he says a mega mystery i don't know but peter knows peter knows what a marriage is peter knows the heartbreak to see a weaker vessel dying before his eyes peter knows that he kept everything on the altar for god that is the reason why he says first peter chapter 3 likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you for the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered you know what he's trying to say to all of us he's saying all the married men here live with your wives in a you know what it says in the kjv according to knowledge meaning please do your homework okay very very important know what her dispositions are what her mood swings are and what her mood swings are not okay so when she says please stay away from me that means she means please draw close to me okay sometimes not always sister okay be understanding so in other words men don't be dumb dumbs do your homework that is how you die for your wife and not die with your wife and when you die for your wife you'll be able to release her into the lord's vineyard that is peter a man who loved his wife hmm what a fantastic marriage choose believing sisters who are as your wives young men not just handsome beautiful whatever matthew chapter 17 i you know ultimately you know this is areas but god will test us no he will test us ultimate test for a believer is when the marriage comes all the people even in our own church how much struggle no shikant full to struggle full to you have to balance all equations don't know who is going to get hurt in all these drama no hmm okay matthew chapter 17 second thing 
How he handled his wife? Handled. No, 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 no. He didn't handle his wife. The way he dealt with his wife? No, he didn't deal with his wife. The way he loved his wife? That's the good answer. Secondly, next, Matthew chapter 17, how he handled money. When they had come to Capernaum, those who had received temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay temple tax? He said, yes. Scouring for Jesus, he didn't know. I think he didn't know. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take, take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. Jesus said, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea. Cast in a hook. Take the first fish that comes out. And when you have opened its mouth, find piece of money, take that and give it to them and for me and for you. The first thing when I came to the full-time ministry, you know, first advice I got from pastor, guess what? Guess. No brainer. Vijay, Every year, file your tax returns. Give to government what it is due to the government. Don't fool around. So what I, you know what I do? Whatever, even the offerings that I get, I put it in the bank and I go to take, go to the CA and that fellow will see the entire thing and he will do the calculation of the tax. Righteous in money matters. Righteous, say that. Righteous in money matters. Say that. Wicked borrow and do not pay. Got that? Pay your taxes. I remember that old advertisement Durdarshan used to give those days, no? And interviewing all these professionals those days. Do you pay your taxes? The question is, they're asking all these interviewing this question. Do you pay your taxes? Why should I pay my taxes? Have you seen the infrastructure? Have you seen the schools? Have you seen the hospitals? The roads? The pipes? Etc. You want me to give my taxes to them? And then the video stops. And the next screen. You may give hundreds of excuses. But you know what is best. Pay your taxes. Okay? Pay your tax. Give to the government what is due to the government. Don't play the fool. Okay? Not saying that you should be, you should be smart. Invest. Save as much as you can so that you can avoid as much tax as you can. But pay. Righteous in money matters. And that's exactly what he says in First Peter chapter 5. Look at what he says. To the elders which are among you, I exhort you, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. I like that. Filthy lucre. Two areas, every man will be tested in the area of lust and in the area of covetousness or love for money. There was an old man of God who was like, you know, was being interviewed. They asked him, what is your most significant struggle? 85 years old. And he said, lust baba. 
85 years lost you know very very careful no young man old woman doesn't matter what kind of a age group you belong to you could be elderly you could be young doesn't matter be very careful as to how you behave with the person of the opposite gender it says those who touch somebody else will not be innocent do you know that don't be all too touchy touchy oh we are so familiar oh just my sister just my daughter haha <laughs> please please careful you know when paul writes to timothy he says consider elder elder women as mothers and younger women as sisters and what does he say with all purity what does he say all purity you know why and peter timothy would have got offended what does he mean peter paul knows that i am such a gentleman why should he write like this he never got offended he understood it's just an exhortation but don't become too touchy 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 no maintain dignity dignity is important the way you behave with the opposite gender as a man very important i tell that on the authority of the bible maintain your distance don't get too familiar the way you speak the way you touch people become too touchy touchy too familiar those who are ears to hear let them hear third thing he says submit to authority that's what he tells peter first peter chapter 2 therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether be to, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent from him for the punishment of evil doers and for the praise of those who do good for this is the will of god that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men and you know what has happened people in the church are so foolish they have given chance to the enemy to blaspheme why because they do not submit to god's ordained authority as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice or covetousness but as bond servants of god honor all people love the brotherhood fear god honor the king that is peter next how do you handle correction hmm first peter chapter 2 So, sorry Matthew chapter 16 sorry Matthew chapter 16 verse 22 then Peter took him aside this is Jesus and began to rebuke him he was getting too familiar okay and what did Jesus say far be it from you lord this shall not happen to you but god peter turned aside and said get behind me satan finished if people call some kind of a name like that to you what will happen to you i am not going to that church period over can you imagine peter being called satan satan please get behind me just imagine i'm going to go with pastor james in the car i'm driving and pastor don't do like that satan shut your mouth i mean that is how i, I imagine all these no because because he is for me he is like uh, jesus and peter almost no uh, so pastor you should not satan please Shh. that is what is happening over here i mean think about it no if somebody calls you satan you know that is something very important for people who have leadership skills if this fellow was a leader no he was a leader baba hmm? 
people who are in leadership positions especially they, it is a walk on the knife edge kattimida samu it's a walk on the knife edge because they are so vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy because they think that they have arrived immediately satan will come and pounce on them hmm thank god for peter who could t- take rebuke he was he was used to it thank god he was used to rebuke how many of you are used to rebuke? Meaning, used meaning, or have an open heart for rebuke. Look at another incident in his life. This time, one younger brother will rebuke him in front of everybody. You know, you, you need to imagine this, okay, in your in your in your in our own situation, okay. Just imagine P- Peter, that is Vijay, and me, Pastor, Pastor Vijay, Pastor James, and Vijay. Everybody in the church, Vijay, Intadi, what is it? Right in front of everybody. How will I take it? Look at what happens in Galatians chapter 2. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed for certain men came from James. He would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And you know what? Paul is not going to, he's not going to stand here. No, it doesn't matter if he's Peter or repeater. It doesn't matter. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about, about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, notice that, before them all, if you being a Jew live like a man of Gentiles and not as a Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Hmm? How do you handle correction, especially from people who are younger than you in the ministry? Guy who comes very young in the ministry is charging, challenging you, is correcting you. How will you take it? From weaker people, especially. Peter took it well. Then, how do you handle failure? For people in the, in the, in Christendom, one failure is enough. They will be like, Joshua, Lord, why did you call me out to kill me? Finished, gone. Gone. Therefore, this is John's Gospel, chapter 21. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and plunged into the sea. You know what? When he failed, he did not run away from Christ. He ran towards God. That is Peter. That is Peter. He would cling to Jesus. Where shall I go? You have the words of life. Matthew chapter 18. He learned forgiveness. To forgive younger brothers. Who are weaker than him. And Peter came and said. Lord how shall I. How shall my brother sin against me. And how often should I forgive him. Seven times over. Seventy times seven. Forgiving. And then, and when he had begun to, so then Jesus called, tells this parable, he says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owned him 10,000 talents. But when he, as, he, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he should be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment be made. And then, then what happens? Therefore, this, therefore, 
The servant therefore fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Did you notice that? What did he say? I will pay you all. What should he have said? I can't pay. That's what he should have said. He still thinks that he can pay. That is the reason why he was unforgiving. Peter learned how to forgive younger brothers who are weaker than him in the ministry. Then, finally, before I close, Matthew chapter 16. Before I close, not Matthew chapter 16, one more. One, one more thing I want to look at. Second Peter chapter 3. Peter had a large heart. Very large heart. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14 onwards. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of God is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And then you know what he says? As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some are, some things are too hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You know what? This man had a large heart. What is the meaning of large heart? If somebody is more talented than, talented than him, he will acknowledge. Hmm? What does he do? He's better than me. Better than me. That is Peter. So what happens to this Peter? This is what God tells to Peter. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Finally, he is commissioned with authority. You know why? Because he had a large heart. He he knows how to forgive younger brothers. He knows how to deal with his wife. He knows how to deal with his authority. He knows how to deal with his money. He is hardworking, never gives up. And he is willing to take risks for God. Seven things. Seven things that make Peter... A failure. Who's ultimately successful in that God gives him the keys of heaven. Do you know who unlocks the kingdom ultimately for the Jews and also to the Gentiles? First sermon, Peter. First convert among the Gentiles, who? Peter. Keys given. Unlocks the kingdom of heaven. Two foundations. Paul and Peter. Upon this foundation, God built the church. Just a man, just like ours. Just like us. Man with like passions and with all kinds of mistakes and errors. But used of God. That is what it says, right? What is it? Peter. Today's song, the last song that we sang. And I also say to you that you are Peter. What does Peter mean? Stone. Stone. 
That is the reason why he writes First Peter. He says, coming to him as what? As living stones. You are also being built up into a living house. So that you can offer to God sacrifices of praise. God is doing that in every one of our lives. But one of the things that I would encourage all of us to do. Never give up. Doesn't matter if you have caught nothing. Don't give up. Be like Peter and say, Lord, where shall I go? You have the words of life. Shall we all stand this evening? I know we have to all go early because of the crackers. So let's pray. Jesus answered and said, Upon this rock I will build my church. The rock of the revelation that Jesus is the cornerstone, the Messiah. And he is also building our church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Peter also has become the foundation stone. And God also wants to make us into foundation so that somebody else can be built over our lives. That you could be used in the master's vineyard as a laborer. But God is looking for people who will never give up. Who will toil. Who will labor. Who will perspire for the kingdom. Who will labor in the word. Who will labor at their workplace. Who will live lives which are not extravagant so that they can give away to the cause of the kingdom of God. Who live frugal lives, sacrificial lives, hard-working lives, responsible lives. Who will build their homes, love their wives, strengthen them in the, during the time of weakness. Like Peter did his wife. Wives who will stand by their husbands. Like Peter's wife did. It's amazing. That the name of Peter's wife is not even mentioned in the Bible. Even the historians didn't know her name. But that day will know. That this was the woman who stood by him. And who made him. Into one of the foundations. The pillars of the church. May the Lord find men and women in this house this evening who will forsake all. Who will not just be caught in their schedules, in their works and in their careers. But their focus will be on the kingdom. They will be hard working employees but they will never lose their focus. It will be all about God and about his kingdom. Building his kingdom on this earth. May the Lord find young men, young women, older men and older women this evening. Oh Father, commit each one of us into your hands. True Lord, the harvest is plenty but the laborers are few. I pray Father from this congregation you will raise up laborers oh Lord. Will stand firm in the days to come. 
who labor will not give up even if they have caught nothing. Even if they don't see fruit. They will be like Habakkuk. They will say, even though when I see the fig trees not blossoming, I don't see fruit. Lord, I've labored their mothers, Lord, in this congregation who have labored in tears for their children. There are wives in this congregation who have labored in tears for their husbands. Father, you, are, you said, Lord, that you are close to the brokenhearted. They shed tears because they care. They shed tears because they are willing to risk their lives for the sake of their close, their dear ones. May you find people in this congregation who will make themselves vulnerable, O Lord, who will be able to take, who will be willing to take risks for the kingdom. Who will not be selfish. Who will not become heartless. Who will not become irredeemable. But who will be vulnerable. May you find young men and young women in this house. Even if it is one, you are able to do mighty, O oh Lord, through few. Thank you, Father. Commit every one of us into your hands. Commit your shepherd, even as he's ministering. All these days, I pray, Father, that you would strengthen him, O oh Lord. Anoint your servant, use him mightily. Let his, let his ministry expand to the left and to the right. Father, we have sent him from this place. And Lord, we pray for him and we uphold him in our prayers. Anoint your servant. We cover him in our prayers. No weapon formed against him will prosper. And every lying tongue that is going to raise against him in judgment, he shall condemn for this is his heritage as a servant of the Lord because his righteousness is of you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being called your children. Behold what manner of love the Father has shed abroad upon us that we should be called the children of God. Enable us never to take that lightly or for granted. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.